Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Warren Jacker. Joy 94.9 would like to acknowledge and pay respect to the sovereign peoples of the past, present and future generations of the Kulin Nations on whose unceded land we work, live and broadcast from. We would also like to acknowledge all our brother boys and sister girls of the LGBTI communities. A silent storm begins to brew in an ancient land of darkness. With tumultuous force from the crust of the earth, two worlds come together as one from the past and the present, celebrating culture and spirit, paving the pathway to our future. It's time for dreaming. Urban dreaming. Finding your voice. Finding your spirit. Joy 94.9. Hello, everybody. Yes, you are on Urban Dreaming. My name's Gracie. Currently in the studio without my co-host, Rami, but he is on his way and he will be here in a short while. We've got some guests in tonight from Ilbajeri, Deadly Fringe. There's some artists performing there. Declan Ferbergelic and Sandy Greenwood are joining us in the studio. We've also got some new music coming up. Kaid is releasing her debut EP this Friday, the 31st of August, and we've got her brand new track to play for you. It's just ahead of a national tour she's touring around the country so make sure you do check out those dates and go down and see her she has just featured on a brand new song from cooking on three burners as well it's called warning definitely make sure you are giving those ones a listen and go head on to her um social medias and make sure you are liking and following because these artists that are you know coming up in the world they need all the support they can get and kate is one that you definitely want to watch out for jill scott and erica badu did say that she is their love child they came to australia made a love child and that is Kate so she's definitely one to watch because soon she'll be off you know gallivanting around the world and we won't get the chance to see her as often but as I said we're going to kick it off with Kate it's OG Love Kush part two but something that a body kiss are more than just that I rock more than one hat raise bedora snapbacks and top hats To leave your mental cigarettes on the kitchen floor You know how much I hate you smoking And your asthma always acting up on a phone You're never really on my mind I just think of you from time to time Can finally say I'm sleeping well at night Don't need weed singing me a lullaby I feel like I'm your mama Cause it's so damn hard just to please you But now that's not my problem Then what the best? But in order to do that, I think it would be best. I believe you on scene. Block you off everything. Stop imagining that ring. I stop this as if drinking. Hoping that I see you on the weekend. Going 
to check your time. Stalking all them bitches that like to profile. Lies your profile. brand new from Kate. It's called OG Love Kush Part 2. And if you have missed any of our previous shows, make sure you are checking out and downloading our podcast and showing us some love. All you need to do is head over to joy.org.au forward slash urban dreaming. You can get all your Joy podcasts there as well or on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. So it's Xavier Rudd now. He was out with a new album in May of this year and he is touring around the country and this is his hit of the same title of the album. It's called Storm Boy. It's on Joy. When will you learn that the more you take means the less that you have at the end of the day? Stillness of the mind is so hard to embrace. Freedom of the heart is what we crave And we sit by the river with a cup of tea Watch the movement of the tide in the gentle breeze Pelican drifting slowly looking for a feed Like Mr. Percival to Stormboy, you to me Kookaburra calls just like he knows And I'll call right back Yes, I'm home, he's been with me He's watched me grow through those rainy days and those rocky roads And now everybody smiles in the setting sun And sighs with contentment when the day is done Hand in hand with the one you love Feeling blessed by the magic of the moon above And we sing Sha-la-la-la-la-la-la-la We're just living in this beautiful world Living in this beautiful world It's time for fire Smoke and leaves The only mosquito repellent we need Pay respect to 
to the north, the south, the west, and the east. Pay respect to the spirit of this old country. Freedom in the hearts of the young and brave who know little of the journey of the diggers who gave their lives to the service and the government gain so that we could dance together on this beautiful day. And now everybody smiles in the setting sun and sighs with contentment when the day is done. Hand in hand with the one you love, feeling blessed by the magic of the moon above and the same. Kaya, and you're listening to Urban Dreaming on Joy. Yes, you are on Joy 94.9. I'm going to be joined very, very shortly by Sarami and the guests from Ilbajeri Deadly Fringe. They are on their way, but first, it's Emily Waramara and Black Boy here on Joy on Urban Dreaming. To learn about life and how his people lost their way He was very stubborn, he was just a child And now his life is mystified
I'm Jumbo Mizi Michi. Was good. My name is Wani, and you're listening to Urban Dreaming on Joy 94.9. Thank you, Wani. Yes, this is Sarami on the mic, and Gal back in the studio. We literally just came in from a workshop facilitation, and um, yes, yeah, speaking about country and getting in touch with um, our culture, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah, sort of retracing our ourself and diving deeper into our memories, and I guess. Yeah, just touching base, literally with the ground and, yeah, others as well. So thank you to Gracie for taking um, charge for the very first part of the show. And it's just an honour to, yeah, be a part of this show in, in general. Uh, the idea of us standing on Kulin Nation, this is a country where we're visitors to, you know, specifically um, I'm from... Uh, Nigana country, which is in the Kimberleys, and I can never pronounce this enough, the, the idea of us working on Kulin nations and, and knowing that we are visitors, but also you know, feeling actually at home, which is yeah. a beautiful thing. So I'm going to introduce the next segment. We're going to talk about the Deadly Fringe. So Deadly Fringe is happening. It's coming up, guys. So it's something you want to definitely check out. There's so many performances happening around the whole of Melbourne. There's only three of us who are representing the Indigenous shows specifically for the Melbourne Fringe, which is called the Deadly Fringe. So for those who don't know, the Deadly Fringe unearths and nurtures brand new works by first Nation artists, and now it's the second year. And after the roaring success of the first Deadly Fringe, the artist Joel Bray, who won the best performance for his work as a uh, beloved. Uh, Billa Durung. Durung. Yes, um, not ab- not every Aboriginal person can say every Aboriginal word in yeah. completely different languages. Exactly. So just keep that in mind. Um, Deadly Fringes 2018 features new work from the First Nations artists, supported by a first of the two nations producers. So that's actually one of them in the room studio with us right now is Gal Palmer. Yes, I'm back on board after um, sort of managing the, like navigating the pilot year last year, which was the first time Deadly Fringe ever sort of. Um, yeah, it came about really, and so I'm back after Layla and Kalani 
um, sort of took over the show for a bit and I guess did really amazing things and have been touching base with everyone. But yeah, I'm here to support the artists again and I really love Deadly Fringe and I would keep coming back for a long time because it's it's definitely a, a new... I don't know. It's quite new. It's quite revolutionary for a, for a mainstream festival to incorporate such a new, like unique First Nations section where there's a, a really flexible space to shine and a really flexible place to expand and try new things, but also just break away from common artistic stereotypes and presumptions, I guess, about Aboriginal work. So I love it because it really loosens it up and you can see some really, really interesting stuff that comes out of it. And I love this um, the, the idea of knowing that there is a, not only as artists but also as, as people behind the scenes, particularly producers, directors, writers, etc. They're all essential to the one, you know, the one, uh, I guess, topic is their performance, yeah, in the end. Um, and they all contribute. Um, so as a, as a producer... And um, specifically, you meeting the artist for the first time as well. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I feel like I sort of already know people a little bit, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, tell me about your performance. What do I need to do? <laughs> Which is what we want to do right now. So I want to introduce these two amazing artists. Um, so the first fellow I'm going to introduce, his name is Declan Ferber Gillick. Now, Declan is a multidisciplinary artist and a musician working in theatre, poetry, and hip hop. Uh, he was born in, um, hey, can you say this for us, brother? Mbantua. Matwa, there you go. In Arenti, Arenti, Arenda, Arenda. There you go. Our country and lives in Preston on Wurundjeri land or country. His creative practice incorporates cultural and community organising, uh, education and facilitation. We'll go on with the bio, but I actually feel like we want to just get to know you as a person, Declan, and let us know about your work and what are you actually sh- uh, showing Melbourne. Um, yeah, good to be here. Thanks for having me on, Joy. Um, first time in the studio. It's very, very lovely. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do lots of different work as the bio sort of hinted at, um, I do sort of my own, um, music and, and production work. I do facilitation, um, sort of outreach hip hop programs around, um, different communities in Australia, working for Desert P Media. Um, currently a resident writer at Melbourne Theatre Company. I sort of got into, got into writing theatre and playwriting the last couple of years. So, um, and theatre, theatre influenced my writing in a big way. So I write, I write sort of performance prose. I sort of went from a slam, slam poetry background into writing performance prose and sort of theatrical storytelling. And this is my first one-man um, theatre show. So it's, it's decidedly a shift from um, sort of memoir-style storytelling and poetry to working with the frame and the lens of theatre and writing I guess what I'd call is let's it's 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 dramatic storytelling, yeah. And so that's that's no my show. No my show is big house dreaming, and it'll be running from 25th to the 29th of September with a double show on the Friday night, and that's at um, Brother Music Mechanics Institute. Wow! So you've and a very political show at that, and I think the idea of um, you know telling these particular stories that are usually aren't spoken about all, often um, and openly it's a big step for you bro so like, like let us know how you're feeling right now and and i guess what what do you want to um earn from this experience as well sure yeah it is it's um it's it's, it's difficult material um i guess i guess what i've what i've done is try to um use look at the story of young men and young in particular young aboriginal men and their relationship to the the youth justice system i come from a town which has got a lot of um a lot of heat and a lot of a lot of really bad good like it's good that there has been bad press about um youth incarceration a lot of it's been a lot of people making a lot of noise about the high levels of um young aboriginal men and women in prison and some of the and sort of following the four corners expose a couple of years ago I just I sat with that and have been sitting and watching the response to that and it just 
I felt a responsibility to respond artistically to that. So what I've written is is this show that follows follows a young man through a court process and it looks at his connection to his community and family um, and his endeavours as an aspiring hip-hop artist and the mentors that he does and doesn't have in his life and sort of ultimately the struggle of of trying to deal with, with the justice system as a very young person. So it's working with, with really quite harrowing content. For me, there's no sort of straightforward and easy answers. And so I sort of really try and tackle that and go into the difficult, the difficult tensions and, and explore them in, uh, with a theatrical lens. So, yeah, it, it's a hugely ambitious show in terms of the amount of content that I have to produce and memorise and perform. So it's, it's my biggest show. If I think about it too hard, I get really terrified. So I'm just sort of doing one thing at a time. I've got a really fantastic creative team and I'm working with a really fantastic director called Mark Wilson. So, look, I feel like I'm in safe hands, but, yeah, existential crisis mode at the moment. (laughs) But I do it pretty well, yeah. Yeah. You seem to keep remaining calm every time I see your face anyway. so But internally, yeah, you must be... like I know the feeling myself, but the idea of performing in front of people and and sharing a story that you connect to, but also a part of yourself is obviously going to be showing this story. So how much do you feel are you investing in the story as a part of your perspective, but then also the others? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's, it's a difficult one. And I think that um, a lot of, I think there's a lot of assumption that when, um, when Aboriginal people and when people who are part of minority cultures um, make work and make, particularly make theatre, there's this kind of assumption that it's autobiographical or that it's like a deeply personal work. And it is deeply personal work, this show for me. Um, and, and I do draw upon my life experiences, but it's not, a, it's not about Declan the person, you know, it's not about who I've been and what I've done. But at the same time, I'm drawing upon my soul and my psyche and my... I can't make this work without it being a deeply personal work. So for me, the for me the craft is in turning something that's experiential and deeply personal into something that is um, universally accessible, hopefully, and something that is meaningful across race and class and gender lines and, and, and across age lines. So there's a lot of me in the show in that I'm on the stage performing it. So I don't... I try not to overdo the me being in it because I'm already on the stage. So... That, I don't know if that answers your question, but it's a, it's not autobiographical work, but it is it's personally influenced work. Yeah, I think that's pretty well said, actually. Yeah, I think it really encompasses that grey area you can get as well when you actually have to ask yourself how much am I investing in this and how much am I giving myself away to something that is going to reach an audience that's unknown. Like you don't know who's necessarily going to rock up and what the vibe's going to be like there and how much you giving yourself away to a whole room full of strangers and yeah I think it's such a brave and crazy thing to do especially when it is coming from that place of personal experience mm. and I think it's it was really important for me to get a director that I trusted because mm. having an outside eye on a solo show I think was really helps to temper that personal element and to help help someone else to nut it out with me so I'm not going oh my god it's all me this is just my life story because it's not but making a solo show can very much feel like yeah. you're just in the middle of this psychic maelstrom and you're just having to kind of produce something that is this even relevant is this just some kind of narcissistic arc that's just about me but having that director and, and a creative team to go no we're going to craft this into something we're going to use that text and it's going to be a show it's not going to be a bio- an autobiography yeah. you know yeah solid I guess that's the expectations too of being a one-man play is like, oh, we get to know this person more or we get to know or delve into, I guess, deeper into their um, subconscious, yeah, and finding ways that we can, I don't know, what can we take from this? And that is my question too. What can we take from your performance, do you think? What, is, what are people going to leave with or what, what mark will you leave for people to, um, I guess, to walk away and understand? Yeah, look, I don't think that people will walk away 
um, having a direct experience of um, a deeper and a more direct experience of me of Declan the person I think that what people will probably hopefully walk away with is hopefully a lot of fairly deep and difficult questions about what justice means what law means and what LORE law means and how those things intersect what it means to be a young uh, young man and a young Aboriginal man in Australia and I think hopefully what I'm really pushing for with this work is what it means to live in a society where masculinity is so fraught because that's really at the heart of this work is looking at, at black and white masculinity and looking at the problems within that and the way that masculinity I don't know I really want to get to the heart of some of the problems with Australian masculinity um, black and white and and the way that those things play out in a personal way but the way they play out in a systemic and institutional way and the way that those things are linked to colonialism and other kinds of imperialist power I just have one little question in terms of I know it's your first time doing a one-man show but are you experimenting in any of your theatrical I guess strategies and movements or is this a big is this something out of your comfort zone is this something that you're really just playing it by ear and just trying new things it's a big push for me as an artist I learn the most and get the most out of the text from being on the floor working the working the material my director so that hasn't started yet we haven't gone into rehearsals yet my director is in Amsterdam um, <laughs> we, we, so we, we talk we, we Skype every couple of days and I sort of go oh my god what's oh my god is it does make any sense and he goes relax relax it looks great <laughs> it's and he's like he's like in the European summer he's like, With yeah, a beer. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I'll be pushing myself in really new directions yeah. and once we get on the floor but I, I really trust my director to to craft the show and to bring my strengths because my strengths are my strengths are in my voice my delivery I don't have formal training as an actor so we'll be working on that but we're not going to like be a performer that I'm not the audiences that need to see these pieces do you think that you know having deadly fringe is so important in as part of Melbourne fringe to get these audiences and to especially for white people to listen to these stories and find out about these stories I think so, yeah, and I, and, I, and I sort of, I never quite know who my audience is, but I, I'd say that a lot of the issues that I'm looking at in this show are really relevant to, really relevant to young professionals. I really want to get a lot of young students, so people who are going to go on to be young professionals and, and very much including non-Aboriginal people. And that, to me, that's the, they're the people that I'm thinking about and speaking to when I write this work. But I'm also, it's really important for me for my work to be accessible to lots of people. I think that the work is, I think the work's highly accessible to the Aboriginal community. I think it's um, really accessible to the queer community. Um, my director Mark and I are both queer and we bring that lens and I think it's a really interesting to have a queer Indigenous lens looking at maleness. So, yeah, I think I like to make theatre and work that is as universal as possible and certainly there's some issues that uh, that I think really are directed at people working in the professions that I'm going to be kind of bringing that lens to. I think the work could be hugely, hugely emotive and interesting for anyone and, and particularly young Aboriginal people and anyone who's had to do with the youth justice system and those inside and those and in particular families who've had young people go through the youth justice system. Hopefully it's really healing work for them and a really um, bit of a vindicating work for them. I want to hit multiple layers of culture and society. That's always the way with my work. I'm seriously looking forward to seeing your show, Declan. Yeah, me too. And, um, and I encourage others to, if you get a chance to go to the Deadly, or just in general, the Fringe Festival, you must check out um, these particular shows for the Deadly Fringe and, and the artists. And speaking of other artists, um, we have a full studio this evening. Our next artist is actually, her name is Sandy Greenwood, and she's a First Nations a nations actress from, you have to say these ones for me, and, and let me guess it first, is it Dangari? Dangari, yes. And Gumbangara. 
Gumbanga. Gumbanga and the Bunjalong tribes of Australia. You got it there, brother. Yes, thank you. Uh, Sandy graduated from the Queensland University of Technology in Creative Industries. Uh, she has performed with Australia's leading companies, theatre companies, including Sydney Theatre Company and the Obidjuri Theatre, Indigenous Theatre Company. And she's worked internationally at the Seattle Theatre Company and won roles in film and television, including the US blockbuster Killer Elite, alongside guess who robert de niro <laughs> wow this girl is uh, quite versatile and you've obviously traveled a lot um and i've heard a little bit about your work but let the others uh, let people know generally what your work is about sure um well first of all thanks for having me um it's really deadly to see familiar faces and meet new mob and um it's my first time here at joy and i've been away for a while so um yeah it's good to be back um so i've been in los angeles for the last four years and uh i'm bringing my show back to deadly fringe it's called matriarch it's about four generations of women in my family my mother my grandmother my great-grandmother and myself it is a deeply personal story. It is autobiographical. It's honouring the matriarchs in our communities and it deals with intergenerational trauma of the stolen generation, uh, cultural identity and just celebrating the strength and resilience of our of our mothers, of our matriarchs, mm. of the backbone of our communities. Yeah, it's kind of frightening to put yourself out there and you know, and to kind of bear your soul, but it's also deeply healing. I'm hoping to heal some of the generational wounds, and uh, I feel like my my nan and my gran are with me. They're passed over now, but I feel like they're with me, and that these stories need to come out so I can, um, so we can just you know kind of release some of this trauma and you know and celebrate you know our beautiful culture. Is that partly why you think you're doing this particular performance? Because uh, your work seems to be like when you think about um, the diversity that you've you've worked with. Mm-hmm. This is actually a personal story. Um, mm-hmm. um, what, what do you feel is going to come out of this for you and I guess for your families? Uh, healing. Um, yeah, just kind of healing that the DNA of the trauma. Like it's kind of passed down and it's like I see it in my family, I see it in my aunties and my uncles, I see it in my brothers and my sisters. It's just trauma that permeates your being and it just doesn't allow you to kind of just be at your full potential. And... Uh, you know, I've been dealing with that my whole career of, you know, and it's manifested in ways like self-sabotage and, you know, just finding ways to numb the pain. And, you know, theatre is such an amazing way. It's it's therapeutic, it's cathartic, it's, you know, it allows you to just kind of put yourself out there and release things out to the ether. And, yeah, so, and, it, like, I do feel like, why am I doing this and why would anyone want to hear my story? But, um, you know, I just want to, you know, my grandmother my great-grandmother you know they're incredibly strong women you know they raised 14 kids in the bush they lived you know they're able to kind of straddle black and white worlds um my gra- you know my mum was taken put in an orphanage and you know I grew up with these strong women that kind of overcame such intense adversity and still came out with like such grace such strength um and so you know at peace really and um and I kind of was born with this trauma. I just want to let it go, and mm. um, and also want to, you know, just maybe share, um, you know, being fair-skinned Aboriginal. Like, you know, I don't really, no one really can tell I'm Aboriginal, but I grew up black. So I think that's an interesting thing in this time and place. I think people are ready for, you know, the diversity of Indigenous Australia for all us, for all of us to tell our stories and. Um, you know, it brings us together as Australians, I think. Um, and it is the era of storytelling, apparently. <laughs> so I think everyone has a story. And, um, yeah, I think it's um, 
I think it's my time to tell the story. So. Yeah, exactly. I'm, yeah, I'm quite interested. Like the combination of like acknowledging the pain, but also celebrating the resistance, and it reminds me of like a quote I saw the other day by a um, First Nations Native American mob there, and yeah. it was, "Although trauma is in our DNA, so is resistance." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that really sat sat with me because resistance and rebellion and that fight is also embedded in our DNA just as much as trauma is. Like it was sort of a reminder that yeah. we have control too. Yeah, um, so I saw really, that as well. Yeah, that, yeah, that resonated with yeah, me. It's like, so yeah, let's get to the resistance. <laughs> let's get to the strength. Let's kind yeah. of move past this. This was pushed on us. Yeah, and do you think That's, your performance really pushes that a little bit? Well, the process has been extremely yeah. challenging. All everything's coming up, so I feel like it's coming up and out. So yeah, I feel that that that's happening, and I feel like I'm getting stronger as a person. You know, do you find that your family are quite supportive of you know? Obviously, these stories are really important to tell, but mm. some people find reliving those things quite traumatic. But are you are you getting that support from? Obviously, you have a large, a very large yeah. family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many kids did your grandmother? Fourteen. Have? 14. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Imagine giving birth 14 times. <laughs> I come into 21. Yeah, no, biggest mob. I'm from Barraville Mission. I've got over 300 family members. and um, But, yeah, it's ma- mainly my mother's story. I play my mum as a little girl and I, I'm just so thankful that she's able to, like, to go back and tell me in detail really painful things um, in order for me to tell this story. I'm so grateful for her and um, my whole creative team is, a, is all my family members. My brother's an amazing hip-hop artist. He's going to be doing live dig and movement and my sister's doing art design. My mum's cultural consultant. So, yeah, it's a family. It's, it's, a, it's a family feud. Yeah. <laughs> That's so nice though. And you said that there's your sort of looking at four different generations of women. Are you playing the four generations of women? Yeah, yeah, I'm wow. playing all four women. Yeah, um, Not to give anything away too much, yeah. but you will be... Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm a character yeah. actress, so I'll be playing all four women and then yeah. all, you know, nuns in the orphanage and, you know, yeah. all, all just the different characters that came in and out of the lives. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's... Um, it's, I'm excited. I am excited as well as petrified. <laughs> but I think that's natural as an artist when you put yourself out there. Yeah, it so is. And what are the dates of your performance? Yep. So I'll be performing at the warehouse at the Fringe Hub from the 22nd to the 29th of September. So seven shows only at 6.30 at night. Deadly. That's a good so, time Yeah, too. it is good. People yeah. just come after work and no excuse now. You get to come. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. It's beautiful that you're honouring the stories of your family heritage and the idea of knowing that there's you know, that, that next generation and, and, and empowering the next mob after you, you know. So I think that, that intergenerational not only is a trauma, but it's also a chance to relive and experience the history and experience the, um, the power of matriarch. Yeah, that's mm. it. Yeah, it's not, yeah, that's exactly right. It's like, you know, now my little nieces and nephews can, you know, hopefully see it and they'll be like, oh, that's our nan, that's our great grand, that's how they live, that's what they did, that's how mm. they talk, you know. They're just like, passing on the little knowledge. Capsule you know? of, you know, yeah. Mm. Memories. Of, and yeah, and that's our culture is storytelling. Exactly. So this is this is modern day um, storytelling. Namani, you mob. This is Jacob Bowen. You're listening to Urban Dreaming, Joy ninety four point nine. Nakanya. Yes, we're here sitting down talking about the Deadly Fringe for the Melbourne uh, Festival. Um, so together with our partners at Ilbidgeri Theatre Company, we've been working with writer, performing artist, storytellers. Um, Declan Ferber-Gellick and Sandy Greenwood. Uh, basically, yeah, the shows are uh, Big House Dreaming and Matriarch. I'm really interested in just going back a little bit. Um, 
we had this conversation quite often on Urban Dreaming, the idea of us mob telling stories as artists, but specifically touching on um, the intergenerational trauma and stuff that's somehow been embedded for us to tell to, to find ways to heal. I guess for a lot of people who don't understand the concept of colonisation and what happened to our mob from the very beginnings of time, finding uh, that we were uh, forcefully removed and, and connected, disconnected from culture and, and from country obviously it plays a big part for each generation because once one is impacted, another continues. So I guess in reference to both of you as a question, what, why do you find it's the time is now to tell these stories and what is it in you that's been calling you or telling you something about why you need to do this and why you want to pass on knowledge? Yeah, I just think it's just a deep kind of intuition that it's this time to do it, really. Like, I just kind of follow my intuition and I just feel like in order to go into the next phase of my life and then, you know, pretend, you know, be a mum, I don't want to pass on this trauma. I just want to be able to release it. And, um, yeah, I just go with instinct, really. It's just... Uh it's just the time like you know I've been talking I've been thinking about it for a few years now and it just hasn't been the right time I've had other artistic projects and other things that have been happening and then I was just like I think I need to get this out now I need to do it and then um I came back to Melbourne and Ilbidgery and Melbourne Fringe were like, yeah, we won't, yeah, we'll give you the opportunity to tell it so I just feel like everything's falling into place there's so much synchronicity and just kind of going with it. Through my twenties, I had lots of periods of anger and confusion, and kind of coming to terms with the way the way the world is, and trying and thinking a lot about what I could do and what I couldn't do for for Aboriginal and other marginalised people, and for the environment, and just and I just I just had that had a very you know I was radicalised politically at about age twenty one, and I just went through a period of like a lot of anger. I was um, part of political groups and did some sort of uh, organising and actions and organised student movement a little bit and stuff like that and I used to speak at rallies and I just, I guess a lot of that kind of really that really fiery heat of the immediacy of that kind of, of that kind of political focus kind of um, has sort of died down a little bit for me but like very, very much is still this really deep fire in the belly that feels um, so much fury and um, every time I make a piece of work I just think fuck them like I'm, I just want to nail them the the powers and the systems that continue to exploit and incarcerate and marginalise and, and and cause suffering the world over so that's that's why I make art because I've always wanted to do that and I became very disillusioned with you know I found a politi- political organisation that I wanted to work in long term um, I felt very isolated and marginalised as an individual looking at these systems and getting more and more and more understanding intellectually of what was wrong and why things were the way they were but feeling le- less and less empowered and so the stage the stage and the microphone and um and the page and the pen is a place where i can um use my craft to um just just speak back just speak back and um offer some kind of outlet for that for that fire that's very much still in my in my belly as a as a, as a, as a resistor and as an activist. Yeah. Yes, you're an Urban Dream. We're discussing The Deadly Fringe and we'll be right back after the short break. Hey, Mob, it's Layla Thacker and you're listening to Urban Dreaming, Joy 94.9. Esso. Esso. Oh, Layla, where are you tonight, Layla? We love you. We miss you. <laughs> so, guys, yeah, we're speaking about The Deadly Fringe and the artists and producers and particularly in the studio right now, we have one of the producers, Gail Palmer, who's actually also co-host for Urban Dreaming and, of course, we've got Sandy Greenwood and Declan Ferbergelic. You guys, it's such an honour to have you on board and um, to know that you, your story is... It's 
it's it's empowering to us mob and also empowering to um, others who who are, I guess learning about culture, mm-hmm. learning about Aboriginal uh, culture and history and and it's uh, you know the, the the importance of telling a story is is essential, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, I feel like you know, like Aboriginal women, kind of are the, the in terms of like history, and they've always been at the back. They don't have. We've always been censored. Our voices have always been, you know, neutralized, neutralized, yeah. and everything like that. And it's like, no, let's tell these stories of these strong black women that overcame so much. That you know, that gave us so much strength. Let's they, let them let their voice be heard now. Um, and I'm just, you know, I really feel that that it's um, it's time to hear those stories that haven't been that haven't been told, that the history books don't, you know, honour. Hmm. Just on that, actually, I was um, I was really had the honour of speaking on Sunday night at a at a um, at an event that Candy Bowers organised called Decolonising Stories, and that was at the Arts Centre, um, and it was with a bunch of um, First Nations people from Australia, South Africa, and. Um, Palestine. And Palestine, yeah, um, and it was a really, it was a really great night. And like, big thanks to Candy for organising that. And the people I heard are doing really badass work, getting inside major arts institutions and campaigning and fighting for space for people to come and tell stories, and really, really, um, really kind of breaking open the form of like what it means to do theatre. Like, it's not, you know, there wasn't a night of entertainment. It was, a, it was a night of storytelling, and people were asked to listen really deeply, and. Um, I think that that's what First Nations storytelling um, kind of uh, style can really do for the stage. It's not, you know, it may be entertaining, but it, it's not, you know, a, a, a story to, um, a story that you can kind of lend your ear to for a while can really transform your understanding in a in a slow and a subtle way, in a way that you don't get if you're going to see, um, you know, an entertaining piece of theatre. And I think that that's really important and I'm really thankful for people carving out and holding down those spaces in big institutions. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of my views on storytelling at the moment. I think it's really powerful. Yeah, I think even another layer of, like, storytelling coming from a producer's perspective is then... Like being an artist and then cherishing their story and their story of telling a story in an institution and I think that's where as a producer and quite new to I guess that pathway as well where I felt like a lot of pressure to to make someone else's story expressible in a space where it's been refined and defined for so long and I think like with my experience with Deadly Fringe is that having a sense of responsibility over someone else's story is is really hard and you want to you want to carry it and deal with it so gently and and personally as well but there are so many robotic things about life that make this experience like you know we we might have emailed each other 20 times before we've actually sit down and had a yarn about it mm-hmm. and it is that notion of like actually implementing storytelling and our ways of listening and yarning with each other in workspaces and in big institutions as well. But I think Fringe as itself, it's also an institution and it is also like a quite Western mainstream body. But to be able to then break down the walls and decolonise a space and say, actually, let's stop emailing, come in for a yarn, I'll shout you coffee and we'll have all the time today to do it. And I feel like that's something that I keep really bouncing back to when I am dealing with other people's stories and trying to make them possible in a space where it's hard, is always going back to your roots. And Suri talks about that a lot, about going back to your roots as artists and also as producers and radio hosts and 
whatnot is just actually just putting the phone down and communicating and that's what storytelling is it's communicating such in such that depth but then you've got the theatrical performance and then the lighting and then the this and this and then it's just like a total bliss and everyone should go see the show and yeah. like it is like that yeah it's crazy just on that same sort of uh, i guess context in regards to what you're speaking of the idea of us speaking and, and communicating is obviously a natural part of our process but um, when it comes back to the oral um uh, understanding the traditional way we were always telling stories we never read books we never had um pen you know the idea of uh, telling stories and it naturally evolving through, I guess, our dreaming. Mm -hmm. And that story is from the stars, you know. Um, and looking at this idea of, um, I guess, as an artist, because I, I know particularly in myself, like I try to sometimes step out of that box too and go, why do I always have to fe keep feeling like I have to tell Aboriginal stories? Why can't I talk about cheese, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> as soon as I speak of something, I, I go, I can write about cheese. And then somehow it becomes... You know, <laughs> Aboriginal <cheese>. somehow. <laughs> it's, it's embedded in us. It's, that's yeah. what it's boiled down to. And it's even about, even when we try to, I guess, step out of that, you know, that, that way of thinking we can only do, you know, we try to be as versatile as possible, I guess, mm -hmm. but it, it boils down to really, this is a part of what's embedded in us, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I find it really interesting. And it's, it's really nice to hear the process as well. This is my, my um, I guess one of my things in regards to any artist. Can you tell me a little bit more about yourselves, Declan and Sandy, specifically about your process and how you work? Um, and just give us a couple of, um, I guess, a short little idea about what, what it makes you, what makes you and what makes your work. I try to write every day and I usually spend the first couple of hours of the day doing timed writing exercises. So, so since April I've been writing volumes and volumes and volumes of, con of of usually early it's conceptual material so I'll write okay what is this about what do I want to write about and then I'll sort of get I'll get I'll focus on the ideas and maybe the politics and maybe some of the narrative and then slowly out of there at some stage um, maybe characters or voices or little little um, little insights sort of start to emerge so I, I write and I do this all by hand so I do all my do all my first drafting of the early, and especially the early conceptual work by hand and then at some stage I start to get kind of a spine of the work um, or I might get a, a central character or I might get a really central idea that I want to interrogate and interrogate and interrogate and again I'll just go through that writing from the day before I won't usually read a lot of it but I'll go through maybe and I'll highlight five or six really core lines and then I'll do my next sense of writing practice from that and I'll just start from that and I'll go right an hour pen on the page so when I do a time writing exercise I can't I'm not allowed to stop writing for the 60 minutes so I'll go, cool, that's a really good four lines there. Take that at the top of the page and then write on that for an hour. So this is a way that I can, over a few months, have a really stretched out process and then go back through and type and go through and highlight or pick out the core stuff and then type that up. So this is a way that I... And so in doing that and doing it very close to when I wake up in the morning so I'm really close to that unconscious dreaming state, mm. that allows me to be... To, I think hopefully the idea is that I connect more with the unconscious and the way the unconscious speaks to me um through images and through key you know through through key phrases but especially through images you know the unconscious and the psyche um and and I, and, I, and i suppose my dreaming speaks to me um more through images whereas if i'm sitting down with and i you know if i sit down and go oh in this scene i want to show this then i can f i find that the writing can become quite contrived i go and then you know like that line what do they say oh and then they say that line so i try to keep it really fluid and push it through 
in terms of my process, this is like my debut kind of writing. <laughs> I'm not a writer. So um, I was, I, it was many um, hours of just like laying in bed with mum going, hey, mum, what happened when you were in the orphanage or what happened here or what that over cups of tea? It's very kind of organic storytelling mm. and, you know, her opening her heart and sharing and then, yeah, being on the being with family and just, you know, asking questions and with my aunties and then writing it down. So, yeah, it's kind of been, you know, over about a year I've just been yarning and writing and then kind of just, yeah, just flesh it out and create characters and now I'm here. So, Love yeah, it. it's, it's all new. <laughs> well, it's been an honour having you both in the studio and, of course, Gal who's always generally with Urban Dreaming, but she's so busy producing as well. It's just great to see. And the idea of you guys moving and, and going in the right direction and following your Leon, your instinctual knowledge, is just it's beautiful to see in each and every one of you. Thank you so much, people, for joining us. And, um, and thanks for listening and tuning in once again to Urban Dreaming, guys. It's just been an honour always to have you in the studio with us as well. And, um, yeah, stay tuned for the next show. Triple Bypass will be coming up. And feel free, again, to check out the podcast for us, um, Urban Dreaming. Um, you can do that on joy.org.au forward slash urban dreaming forward slash. Take care, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Listening to Urban Dreaming with your hosts Sue Rummy and Miss Elanius, a show that aims to bridge the gap and close the divide. You can stay up to date by adding us on your Facebook and download the podcast from joy.org.au. Urban Dreaming on Joy 94.9. <laughs> Service brought to you by Joy 94.9. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au/slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy.